Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to today's Cracking Addiction. And today we have with us Professor Suzanne Nielsen. Hello Suzanne, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great that you uh, can take the time out of your busy schedule to share with us your pearls of wisdom. So I thought uh, we'd start uh, our chat with uh, a discussion on prescription opioid use disorder. So can you tell us what that is? What, what does that actually mean? Sure. So, so I guess, that, you, know, you know, 10, 20 years ago in Australia, most of the people who were seeking treatment for opioid dependence were using heroin. So that was the most common drug that we were seeing in treatment services. Mm -hmm. And then sort of over the past sort of 10 or 20 years, we've seen an increase in the number of people who are using prescription on pain medicines like oxycodone or morphine and developing dependence on those. Um, and we also saw quite a number of people entering treatment for codeine dependence when that was available um, without a prescription. And so um, this was, I guess, a relatively new challenge because most of the research on opioid dependence was conducted when heroin was the main drug use. Most of the clinical trials were conducted um, when the people entering treatment were using heroin. So. Um, some of the work that I've been doing, I guess, over the past 10 years or so has been really looking at does the evidence base that we had from heroin dependence um, remain relevant for treating prescription opioid dependence? And I've done a number of reviews um, and studies that have looked at data specifically for people with prescription opioid dependence, just to see what differences there might be in terms of treatment responses and treatment re treatment approaches. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very important point. You know, when I grew up, uh, when I started training in addiction medicine, it was all about heroin. And right. now it's all about prescription opioids. I mean, and we, we hear this phrase about the, the opioid epidemic. Can you tell, tell us what your views are on the opioid epidemic? So people typically talk about what's been happening in North America in terms of three waves of this opioid crisis. And so the first wave really was this big increase in prescription opioid use. Um, a lot of um, what's been now, I guess, described as overprescribing. Um, and what that did is lead to a lot of people in the community who had developed dependence on prescription opioids and pain medicines. Um, and then those people were running into problems. Um, we saw a lot of mortality in the US with prescription opioids. And then there was a real kind of, I guess, clawing back on how much opioids were prescribed. And what in effect that seemed to do is lead to a shift for the second and third waves, which really um, heroin um, mortality, and then mortality with, uh, I guess, a contaminated heroin supply with highly potent synthetic opioids. What we've seen in Australia is that we've still really predominantly got this prescription opioid um, problem. Yeah. Still the majority of people who die from opioid-related deaths in Australia uh, from prescription opioids, and we haven't yet seen that big shift to heroin. But we have seen, I guess, over the last five years or so, a, a small increase in in heroin-related deaths. And it does seem like maybe we're following that trend that the US has seen, but we're a good sort of, yeah, five or ten years behind where they are. Yeah. So I suppose it's an important point to make that even though your doctor is, has prescribed you these medications, you know, effectively opioid painkillers. Even though your doctor's prescribed you these medications, it's still entirely possible to get addicted to them, isn't it? Yeah, look, we've done studies of people who are prescribed long-term opioids for chronic pain, and there are different kind of diagnostic criteria, and depending on which ones you use, 
the rates that we see of either addiction or dependence tends to be around one in four, one in five people using long-term opioids who might meet those criteria, depending on which criteria mm. you use. But it's certainly not uncommon. Um, and it is something yeah. to keep an eye out for. And it doesn't mean that people don't have, you know, valid pain. But when these mm. medicines are used long-term, it is a concern with them that for some people it become can become difficult to control the amount of opioids that are used and, and people do start to get craving and loss of control of the doses and that can put them at risk of, of overdose as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, if you remember the uh, Safe Script adverts on TV, you have these pictures of people who are injured, who are, you know, instead of putting their leg on a pillow, they're they're going to putting their leg on a on a pill, and the pill starts to control them and and you know wrap itself around their their limbs mm. so they get trapped by it. And I suppose, I, I mean, I like that because I think that's a very good visual analogy for what is addiction. It's it's when basically. And a, a substance that you that you think that you're in control of suddenly takes control over you, and you know you start developing these features of, of addiction. And you, you mentioned a few features. Do you want to do you want to just talk a little bit about what those features of addiction are? Yeah. Look, I guess the way that I was kind of taught was like the four C's. So I guess craving, compulsive use, uh, continued use despite harm, and I'm trying to remember what the fourth the fourth C is. Um, well, let's call it the three C's because oh, that's out. very good. <laughs> I, I, really yeah, I mean, that. really, that, that, that point that you're really no longer in control of the amount that you're using. You spend a lot of time so, thinking about the opioids that you're using. Yeah. yeah. So we've got craving, control, compulsion, and... There is a fourth C. <laughs> there is a fourth one. Anyway, well, I mean, we'll call it the three C's for the purposes of this chat. Um yeah. I really like that. It's a very easy way of actually d demonstrating the the complexity of the behavioral changes that that occur in in terms of addiction. So, I mean, you know, we, we've we, we've we've heard of the opioid epidemic, and you know, you're saying that really in Australia it's more about a prescription opioid epidemic, and there's a lot of people who are unfortunately dying as a result of this. All is not doom and gloom, though, is it? There are very effective treatments for for uh, opioid use disorder. And if we start off with, I suppose we really got to compare our treatments for heroin with our treatments for prescription opioid use disorder. What kind of treatments have we got available for heroin? Um, so the, the strongest evidence we have is for what's commonly called opioid agonist treatments. So that's methadone and buprenorphine. Um, yeah. Well, they're the two that are mainly available in Australia. We do see a few others in, in other countries around the world. Um, and as you say, I think it is quite positive because a lot of the work that I've done looking at, so I did a lot of work reanalyzing clinical trials where both people who were dependent on heroin and people who were dependent on prescription opioids were recruited into the trials. And so what I did is look at well, what were the outcomes like for people who used prescription opioids compared to people mm. who used heroin. And what we found when we did those kinds of analyses is that in general, people who were dependent on prescription opioids, if anything, had better outcomes. So um, I guess that's quite optimistic. We do have effective treatments. Um, you know, the treatments that we have for opioid dependence work very well. And for people who have prescription opioid dependence, probably even a better prognosis than people who uh, maybe have a history of uh, injection drug use or heroin use. So there, there is a message of hope that if you feel that you're stuck on uh, painkillers, you know, there are very good treatments that will help you through this. 
And I suppose you know you, you've mentioned methadone and buprenorphine. So do you want to talk us uh, talk us through what they are? Sure. So methadone, I think many people have heard of methadone. Um, it's what we often call a full opioid agonist. So um, in the body, it feels very much like other opioids that you might have heard of, like morphine or codeine. Um, it's quite a long-acting opioid. So you only need to take a dose once a day. And once you're stabilised on that, that will mean you actually feel quite comfortable for the whole day and can avoid opioid withdrawal. Um, and it, it it's generally something that people feel quite normal when they're on. So it's not... Um, something that will make people feel kind of high or very intoxicated. It's really just something that prevents craving and withdrawal and keeps people stable through the day. It probably has a stronger opioid effect than buprenorphine, which is the other common treatment. Uh, buprenorphine is called a, a partial opioid agonist. Essentially, it just has, um, I guess, a weaker opioid effect at the receptor, but it's actually quite good in that um, when you have buprenorphine in your body, it stops other opioids having an effect. So that reinforcing effect, if people do use opioids, generally means that you won't feel them. Um, it'll it, it'll block those opioid effects, and that does tend to mean that people will use fewer opioids while they're in buprenorphine treatment. It is considered to be perhaps a little bit less sedating. So sometimes when people are trying to balance up which treatment might might be right for them, for example, if you're working or you're studying, um, and it might be a benefit to be a little bit more clear-headed. That's often a reason that people might go for buprenorphine. Uh, sometimes when we're talking to people who have really significant histories of trauma, um, they might prefer something like methadone that has a little bit of a stronger opioid effect. But again, that changes what's right for, for the person at the time, and that, that, that can really vary. Yeah, sure. So, you know, it's all about tailoring the right treatment for the, right indiv for the individual. Now, here's a question that I often get asked. Why? So, you you know, we say that methadone and buprenorphine are treatments for opioid use disorder. So effectively, where we're giving opioids to treat opioid dependence, surely, you know, by that logic, we're effectively trying to put a fire out with by pouring petrol on it. I mean, what, what do you say to that? Why not just chuck it, put um, them in jail so and lock them away the key? <laughs> So the good things about methadone and buprenorphine is they're both very long-acting opioids. So often when people are experiencing opioid dependence, they're taking opioids multiple times per day. We talked before about the craving, the loss of control over use, and often it can, can really escalate when there's a lot of focus on taking those opioids um, and people are spending a lot of the time going in and out of withdrawal or intoxication all day long. These really long-acting opioids, um, it can be one dose a day. Um, with buprenorphine, there's even depot formulations where you're having uh, an injection once a week or once a month. So that is enough to keep people feeling comfortable, not in opioid withdrawal, and to really, I mean, lots of really well-conducted studies show that that will um, reduce the amount of opioids that people use. It'll improve their quality of life and their health. Um, it reduces the amount of crime that people are involved in. So lots of really positive Effect. So yes, it is still an opioid, but it's a stable, regular dose of an opioid that prevents withdrawal, uh, it prevents intoxication, um, and it allows people to really sort of engage with, um, you know, with other parts of their life and not be thinking about using opioids all the time. Um, and we know that these drugs are incredibly effective as treatments in terms of really important outcomes, like people keeping people alive, um, like halve, halves the number of people who um, would have a, a fatal outcome immediately just by getting them into treatment. 
So, you know, we know that if we want people to have a chance of engaging with all of the other important things that help them get their lives back on track, like those psychological treatments, um, this is kind of a backbone, a first step in sort of providing that stability in people's life. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's so important to really emphasise that point, isn't it? That it, it, it provides people the, the headspace and the, uh, the amelioration of, you know, frequent recurrent withdrawals and it gives them the headspace to actually consider their own recovery. Um, and I suppose another point to make is that mm -hmm. it doesn't actually increase the, the natural history of opioid dependency. So, you know, you're not going to be dependent on opioids for longer than you would otherwise without treatment. Um, no, and, and there's a big difference between having a, like a stable dose with a doctor and a pharmacist prescribed yeah. versus taking varying doses all day long and kind of wildly kind of changing doses. Yeah. So, you know, the old adage that, uh, or, or kind of the, the naysayers, the opioid uh, replacement therapy naysayers would, would say, you know, mm -hmm. the treatment of this is just a short, sharp detox, you know, lock them up, throw away the key for seven days, and then they're cured. I mean, that speaks to the, the difference between uh, dependency and, uh, you know, what, what is really a use disorder, and a, which is a chronic relapsing condition. Would you care to comment on that? Right. Yeah, well, when we look at those short-term opioid um, detoxes, if you like, or withdrawal treatments, what we know is they actually increase people's risk substantially. So the likelihood that someone will have a fatal overdose actually goes up significantly if they do a short-term detox. And in those studies that have compared sort of a short-term detox compared to sort of, you know, a longer-term treatment, we find with those short-term detoxes, you know, 90 95% of people will relapse and return to opioid use within a number of weeks of a short-term yeah. detox. It's very, very few people that have a good outcome. And what we've done is reduce their tolerance and put them at risk of a fatal overdose. Mm -hmm. So it's not, as a standalone treatment, it's really not something that's recommended and is actually likely to do more harm than good. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really important to, point to make. So, you know, you've mentioned about, uh, you know, methadone and buprenorphine and their, their role in replacement therapy and you know the difference between uh, replacement therapy in the long term and detox in the short term now we're we're lucky in australia that we've now got a, a another treatment uh, recently uh, arrived on our shores of the injections tell us about the injections yeah so these are buprenorphine um, long-acting buprenorphine treatments it's the same buprenorphine treatment that has been used for a long time we know it's a really acceptable treatment one of the challenges with, with the buprenorphine treatment is people will often miss doses. We do see when we compare buprenorphine to methadone um, that um, people are slightly more likely to stay in treatment with methadone. So these long-acting injectable treatments will mean that people don't have to think about taking a dose every day, they don't have to turn up to a pharmacy every day, it really simplifies treatment for a lot of people. Yeah, 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 it gives a lot of flexibility. So, you know, You've done a you've done a Cochrane review recently where you've analysed the efficacy of uh, prescription opioid, uh, sorry, opioid replacement therapy in the management of prescription opioid. Do you want to give us a precy of your your conclusions from that review? Yeah, so we looked at two different things. One was we were comparing methadone with buprenorphine, and the other one was we were comparing maintenance treatments with non-maintenance treatments. So um, for people who are prescription opioid dependent going into an opioid maintenance treatment versus either a detox or a brief intervention or naltrexone, some non-opioid treatment. So firstly, comparing methadone and buprenorphine, um, what we found was 
Um, and we looked at two main outcomes. One was how well did it keep people in treatment or retention? And we did see um, when we combined all the studies and we had four clinical trials that um, it seemed that there was a slightly greater chance that people would stay in treatment with methadone, but that was really driven by one study that was conducted in Iran with people who inject buprenorphine. So it was quite an odd study. When we took that study out of it, there was actually no difference in retention between methadone and buprenorphine. Um, when we looked at um, opioid use, we didn't really see a big difference between those two treatments. And so really either of those treatments seem appropriate for pharmaceutical opioid dependence. Both have good outcomes. And really our conclusion was that given that the uh, outcomes are quite similar, probably things like patient preference and what the prescriber recommends and other factors can just determine which treatment. When we compared maintenance treatments with non-maintenance treatments like detoxification or naltrexone, for example, what we found was much better outcomes with those maintenance treatments. All of those studies compared buprenorphine maintenance with a non-maintenance comparator. So we didn't have anything that compared methadone, um, but we did find that maintenance treatments were better for keeping people in treatment and for helping them reduce the amount of opioids that they use. So as we were talking about before, those short-term treatments, they just don't tend to be as effective for prescription opioid dependence. We'd already seen that with heroin dependence, so I guess it's just reiterating that a really similar finding is seen in this treatment population. So really, it's good to have the absolute incontrovertible proof that what we're doing in with heroin use disorder actually effectively translates into prescription opioid use disorder. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the, like, the conclusion of sort of 10 years of studies that I did is that yeah. the guidelines that we have the doses, the induction approaches that were developed with heroin dependence seem to apply and lead to equally good, if not better, outcomes for people who are prescription opioid dependent. So, yeah, so for those prescribers who are working in, in the area, I guess to feel that what, you all, what you've learned already is absolutely applicable yeah. and these treatments work just as well. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I have to say when I read that study, I, or your, your Cochrane review, I, I was so relieved to actually to have some, you know, good going evidence of what we're doing is actually now evidence-based. Uh, this is great. I was going to say one of the reasons that we were looking at this to start with is often people with prescription opioid dependence also have pain. And so that was one of the reasons that we weren't sure if we'd see the same outcomes and whether or not there would be a difference with methadone and buprenorphine. But actually both methadone and buprenorphine are quite good analgesics. So I guess it was reassuring to see that. And often what we see is for people who have chronic pain and opioid dependence, if anything, their pain stabilises and improves once they're on a stable opioid dose. So that really fluctuating short-acting opioids doesn't seem to do people favours for their for their pain as well as their opioid dependence. All right. Well, thanks very much, Susie, for your pearls of wisdom and uh, really hope to speak to you again very soon. Thank you. No problem. It's a pleasure. My name's Fergal Armstrong and this has been a Cracking Addiction episode. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.